Well, hi, everybody. It's Lisa Tamati here again on Pushing the Limits, and thank you for joining me today. And today I've got a real special treat in store for you guys. Um, people aren't going to believe this, but I'm actually on a Skype call now with Chris McDougall, all the way from America. Chris McDougall, of course, the famous journalist and runner, uh, a man that revolutionized barefoot running around the world and actually, you know, um, changed the world of ultra running <laughs> um, with his with his original book, Born to Run, and then again with Natural Born Heroes. And I had the privilege of meeting Chris uh, last year, at uh, we were speaking on a panel together at a writers' festival along with Nathan Fave, of course, the four times world champion of uh, uh, multi-sport racing, and uh, we 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 hit it off. And um, Chris has now kindly agreed to come on my podcast and share his uh, what he's up to nowadays and what he's doing. And yeah, how's how's it going, Chris? That was such a fun festival, wasn't it, Lisa? I mean, uh, it was awesome. I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's just New Zealand. It was my first time there, but I felt like I met so many people that I wanted to hang out with all the time. Everywhere <laughs> I turned, there was someone cool to hang out with. No, true. We were a pretty laid back bunch, and I think you know you you got to hang out with some of the worm people, didn't you? The Wellington runners down there, and and you you did a big run and and got to meet some cool people down there. So yeah, I think we're we're a pretty cool bunch of people over here. We well, you know what's happened with the worm people is that um, there's this great running club from my hometown of Philadelphia called the Fishtown Beer Runners. Yep. And one guy on the beer runners was getting married, and he and his wife were going to have their honeymoon in New Zealand. Well, this <laughs> ding dong ends up inviting the whole club on his honeymoon. <laughs> and about 15 of them said, like, yeah, we'll go. <laughs> and so um, – they were telling me this. We're out for a run, and, and one guy on the, on the club's like, yeah, I kind of felt bad. You know, Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And I said, well, look, you're in now, and let me put you in touch with some friends of mine down in Wellington. <laughs> so I connected them with Ava and the Worm Runners, and now it's like they've created this like cross-continental alliance. Oh, so wow. the Beer Runners were actually um, – oh, actually, no. Yeah, it was they created the, – the Beer Runners ended up down in Wellington running with the Worm Runners, <laughs> and then they did this universal 5K day – so all the beer runners connected by Skype or something with the with the worm people, and at this moment, I believe Barefoot Ted is in Wellington on his way for the Worms Run Fest. No, he's. Uh, I know it's it's in September. Oh my gosh! I got you the dates. But anyway, to, so that that's what happened. Like to try and one... track him down. <laughs> oh, you know what? <laughs> well, careful what you wish for. Ted, Ted's a ham. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's definitely going to be coming there. Uh, Ava of of Worm is uh, has a run festival. I think it's the second year now. But anyway, so yes, uh, I felt like I made buddies for life that that oh. one quick little visit. Yeah, let's see, and that's what running does, doesn't it? it? Gets you straight into that, you know, strip away all the crap and, and straight to a good 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 time out in the hills. Some steep hills up that that part of the uh, place, isn't there? You know, think about it. You're, you're absolutely right, but I think it's honestly not to be too, you know, prejudicial. But I think it's trail running. It's it's a different mentality. Trail runners, I feel like they understand. Like, aren't we lucky? Like, aren't we getting away with something? <laughs> but road runners, it's more like, oh crap, I got to go do this. You know, I got to go log my mile. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe I'm, I'm making some suppositions, but. Yes, you're right. I mean, the hills around Wellington were, were ass kickers, yeah, they are. but it just felt so fun. Like we were like kids skipping school. 
Yeah, and uh, you're so right. I mean, the trail running and, and the ultra running trail running community is certainly a different breed than, say, the, the street running marathon community. Um, both cool, lots of people, obviously, but they're different. Uh, they're sort of a different um, – well, it's not so much – I don't know. It's just a bit more nature-orientated and not perhaps just, you know, how what, what kilometre times you do. And, and, you know, there's a bit more fun involved in it, isn't there? Yeah, we know. Again, this is this is this is going to sound kind of snotty, but it's also a good story, so I'll go ahead with it. But I was uh, crewing for a friend. Actually, it was Jen Shelton from Born to Run. I was crewing for her at the Vermont 100, and um, she she didn't come out of the woods. We're like waiting, waiting. Where the heck is she? We're waiting around like mile 20 or something, and she finally comes out of the woods, and she's flanked by these two other runners that she had been way ahead of, and they bring her into the aid station. And they said, well, actually, uh, she started to get sick. She started, like, vomiting, vomiting, and she's doubled over. And these guys stop in their tracks, and they wait. And they, they know who Jen is, and they know that on a given day, Jen could win any race outright. So they stop and wait for someone who should be their rival. They make sure she's okay, and mm-hmm. they get her out of the woods. Wow. And one of the guys who was there at the aid station was a Scottish guy, and he said, that's the difference between ultra runners and marathoners. And this was a marathon. Yeah. They would have jumped over her and then had her disqualified for obstructing the course. Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it is so true. I mean, because when you're out in, in the wilderness somewhere, it doesn't matter whether it's a desert or a mountain or wherever, and you're in trouble, uh, and you can get in trouble in these races, eh, Chris? Um, then you, survival always comes first, and people, comradeship always comes first above competitiveness, uh, it's my, my experience. I've been saved many a time from people. Sometimes, you know, I remember running in uh, Jordan, and it was a 170k race there across the desert in my young days. And um, I went out too fast skiing. I had a film crew, and I was running, you know, trying to look cool for the for the cameras for the first 20k's. And then the, cam- the cameras left, and I fell to pieces. <laughs> and um, I, and it was only 20k's into it, and I remember, you know, lying on the ground, you know, vomiting and in deep trouble already. And this French guy coming past me, he didn't speak a word of English, you know, but he stopped, he stayed with me, he got me back up onto my feet, and he, you know, put his arm around me, and he limped me into the first checkpoint you know um and then he carried on his yeah. merry way once the you know i got to the checkpoint and the doctors got to look after me for a bit and i went out a bit more seriously quietly slowly right, right, right. <laughs> um but you know that's the sort of thing people do you know and he would have lost maybe an hour or you know which is pretty serious stuff in a, in a race like that um but people do they just save you save your bacon you know and we've probably all got a dozen stories like that where we help each other well, that's the thing about it, too. I think people forget how good it feels to help other people. You know, that hmm. he's going to go home. He's probably done a, this guy, this French guy has done a ton of races. But now, I mean, he just feels given a choice between, let's say, fifth place and feeling like a hero. Yeah. I think he'd he choose yeah. feeling like a hero, right? <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I think in some ways we got to remember that we want to give people that opportunity, like give people the opportunity to help you, you know, because sometimes they get more out of it than we do. Yeah, and, and you know what, you know, I'm just looking at, at the, the dramas that are going on in Texas at the moment and you're, you know, beautiful Texas over there getting an absolute hammering. And, you know, you know, we, we often hear from America, you know, bad news about Trump and horrible racism and blah, 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 blah. 
Um, but what I'm seeing coming out of Texas is beautiful. You know, like the, the, the tragedy is the tragedy, but the people that are that seem to be, you know, once again, when, when nature hits and, and trouble sets in, people are helping each other, it would appear. You know, you know, it's funny. I saw a little video clip today of uh, a guy in a totally jacked up truck. You know, he's got like a, it's a pickup yep. truck, but the tires are like, you know, over two meters high. <laughs> and um, he was towing uh, an army um, an army truck out of the water. So an army truck got stuck in the water, and this guy shows up with his truck in the backyard, and, and the caption was something like, you know, the redneck militia saves the army. But I was thinking, this guy's had this truck all of his <laughs> life, and finally, like, the finally moment has can, arrived. He could be macho with it. <laughs> Exactly. He can justify those tires. <laughs> and they would really be beneficial right now with that water so high. I mean, yeah, but I mean, this is, you know, and if we get in now to have a bit of a discussion around, you know, Natural Born Heroes, your your last book that you bought out, what was it, about a year ago now, um, that's yeah. all about uh, looking at the, the, the secrets to, to strength and endurance, but looking at across the millennia, really, or across the ages, and, and these people that have turned into heroes when they needed to, when they've found that secret thing. And I think secretly us ultra runners want to be those heroes. And I think that, well, I know in my case, you know, people are always asking you, why the hell would you do it? Because modern day man doesn't understand generally in the Western world, we don't understand why the hell would you put yourself through all this crap basically for no money no no glory no no much of anything um and it's a really hard one to explain but i i actually think it has to do with something with our instincts that we want to be challenged you know we want to be stripped back to the basics and um you know in your book you know tell us a little bit about natural born heroes and how that came about you know i really like the way you put the question because i think the why question is so crucial, and it also sort of shows how detached we've come. We've come from our own, our own history and our, and our own past. Because I think our great grandfathers never asked that why question for why they did things. They, they knew, you know, this was tradition that was tied in with their lives, and and we've we've turned our back on tradition to to a large extent, mm. and and we're, so we we still do things. We still have the instinct to do things, but we forget why we have this instinct. You know, let me just—I'll circle back in a second. But are you familiar with uh, Caesar Milan, the uh, the dog whisperer? Have you ever seen his program? No, no, never seen that. It's a fantastic program, and so Caesar Milan is a guy that was uh, living in Mexico, growing up on his grandfather's farm, and as a 19-year-old, he illegally snuck across the border into the United States, and the first job, the only job he could get. As uh, as an immigrant without documentation was as a dog walker, so you know again, he, he snuck across the border and he's keeping a low profile and he would go around Los Angeles and walk people's dogs. Well, the only way he could earn enough money per day was by walking like eight or nine or ten dogs at a time. Wow! So this guy's you know walking down the street with these ten mixed dogs, but he was a genius at keeping control of these dogs, and that led to this career. And he's known as the dog whisperer. He's a guy that gets brought into like celebrity homes around the world and you know, like Beyonce or like Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld has a dog they can't control, they're bringing Caesar Milan. Actually, wow. Oprah Winfrey was one of his customers. Tony Robbins is one of his customers. Wow. 
And, Amazing. But when you watch Caesar, you watch Caesar Milan. I look at this guy, and he's very matter of fact about saying, "There's nothing I'm doing that my grandfather didn't do every day." You know, like I, I didn't invent anything, and my grandfather would probably be laughing his ass off that Oprah Winfrey's paying me to walk her dog because that's what my grandfather did. And I think Caesar Milan is doing is he's continuing a tradition because you know for most of human existence we worked side by side with animals all the time and we understood what it meant to be a partner now so the past generation we just sort of stopped and now people are like mythified by their own dogs they have no idea like what does the dog want i don't know but again our great grandfathers knew exactly how to deal with the dog so that circles us back to your question is when people say hey you know lisa why do you want to run 100 kilometer races in the desert I think the thing about it is for, for almost all of human existence, we could only rely on ourselves, on our own strength and skill and compassion and endurance. There weren't police departments. There weren't fire departments. Many countries have standing armies. If you look at ancient Greece, every citizen was a soldier. Every citizen was a cop. In, in any kind of a crisis, from a little kid getting lost to being attacked by like the Moors, Every person had to step up and do their thing. And that's why you had to be capable. So I think we evolved for tens of thousands of years to be like sort of human multi-tools. You know, we were like the leather man tools as humans. We could do a lot of things. And all of a sudden, in the modern age, in the past 70 or 80 years, we've removed all the daily emergencies from our lives. So we still have the function. We just don't have a use for them. So we have to invent those uses. And there, that's how, you know, obstacle course racing and CrossFit and, um, and ultra running shows up because we still have the urge. We just don't have the outlets. That, that's, that's put so beautifully and so succinctly because I really, really struggle to get across because it is, for me, it's an innate need to be out in nature when she's doing crazy stuff, you know, like I love nothing more than to run in a storm, you know, because it's, it, I come back <laughs> just on fire and, 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 and excited and, and, and pumped up and I feel alive, you know? Uh, and I think, you know, I mean, sometimes in ultra races, you, you, you just want to sit down and die. Basically you're just so knackered and so fatigued and so, um, exhausted and, and so much pain often, but, you, there's a quiet, ex- exhausted satisfaction in it. The, 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 the screaming voice inside your head stops for a little while. You know, that, that constant chatter that you have going on that, that sort of plagues oh, us in yeah. our day-to-day life where, you know, like you're rushing here and you're rushing there and you're feeling exhausted just from the, the daily grind of stuff. And then you go out for a run somewhere and it all just – even if you don't feel like going for a run, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, you, you, I jump out the door excited every day to put my shoes on. I don't, you know, it's like, oh, I've got to go for a run again. But once I'm out the door and I'm 10 minutes into it and the body's warmed up and um, I, I invariably come away feeling enlivened, quieter in the soul, the spirit is just a little bit more relaxed and, and I can come back and I can focus better, I can work better. And and that's that, that balance I think that, that's missing for a lot of people. Um you know um was it in your book that I read about I'm I'm not sure now that the um, are the ADHD kids of today actually the heroes of, of yesterday, you know? Uh, was that in your that, book? That was now that was Natural Born Heroes. Yeah, well, yeah, um, exactly. 
Well, it's, it's funny. I, I got that idea from somebody else, but I just want to focus on one thing you're saying because as you as you were describing that, Lisa, I was thinking, my God, it just sounds like a spa treatment. But you're so right. Um, <laughs> I feel the same way. A lot of times, you know, I'm stuck at the desk and, and I'm trying to write stuff, and my head is just clogged like like a like a dirty sink drain, and, and nothing's getting through, and I, I can feel my neck bunching up. And I'm like, all right, time to go. And it's gotten to the point now where I know exactly there's certain kind of trails around my house that go on all the time. And I know exactly by what tree I'm going to feel better. Like no matter how shitty you feel right now, by the time you get to the tree at the top of the hill, you're going to feel awesome. And it's true. As you approach the, the tree, like you just feel the stress melting away and all that clatter and static in your head just washes out. But to me, it's exactly like what people go to spas for. Like they want somebody else to massage them to that state. But you can do it yourself in 10 minutes, it's, yeah. you know, just by heading out the door. Uh, so, yeah, let me, let me talk to you about that thing about so ADHD. So I, I had two experiences. One of them was I was at a conference at Harvard University, and it was about uh, natural movement and sort of uh, ancestral athleticism. And Dan Lieberman, Professor Lieberman from Harvard, was one of the speakers. And there's another guy, and I really recommend him to you, Lisa. You probably really enjoy this guy. Yeah. His name is uh, Dr. John Ray, R-A-T-E-Y. He wrote this terrific book called Spark. And um, he is a, a specialist in ADHD and hyperactivity and attention deficiency. So he was going to be the other speaker. And Yep, so we're back now. Sorry about that, people. We had a bit of a technical hitch there. Carry on your story, please, Chris. Yeah. Sure. So the story I was telling was about being at this conference at Harvard, and there was Dr. Lieberman and this great guy, Dr. John Rady, whom I'd never met. And just before we went on stage, Dr. Rady says to me, well, you know, I'm sure school is always a struggle for you because of your ADHD. And I said, uh, <laughs> I don't have ADHD. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 you do. I said, really? I said, and I'm thinking, man, who's this dude? He's diagnosing me. I've, I've known him for about three minutes. <laughs> and he said, well, think about this. You came rushing in late. You're all sweaty. Your shirt's wet. You bumped into the president of Harvard. You didn't excuse yourself. You went over to the buffet table. You got some food. You ran over to talk to him. And he had watched me come through the door and just <laughs> sort of watched me bouncing around like a fool. And as he's saying this, part of me wants to argue. And the other part of me is like, I think that guy makes total sense. You know, I think he's completely right. And it just put things in perspective for me, too, that, you know, I think the thing which has been both uh, an impediment in some parts of my life, but a real strength in the other, all comes from the same thing, which is that why do we think we want to take healthy human animals and stick them in a chair and say, don't move? until five o'clock, you know, <laughs> just sit here and move your fingers and don't move your ass all day. I mean, <laughs> and what I've come to realize, right. And yeah. what I've come to realize is, is that that's, that's the reason why I want to do freelance magazine articles, which take me to Greece and, uh, the Congo and, and to canyons in Mexico, because I, I think it's natural to want to be moving all the time. And, yeah. and we've, we've unfortunately suppressed that in too many people. And, and so you think these kids, uh, well, a lot of them could could be actually the heroes that of yesteryear, um, those kids that were that can't concentrate, that are full of beans, full of energy. They actually just need to run around more and be 
challenged constantly rather than being stuck on drugs. Yeah. Generally. So there's this, you know, there's this genius, um, yeah, there's this genius uh, series of books. Uh, I don't know if you come across them. It's just called uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. It's, um, it was actually written by a middle school teacher in the U.S. And he had that concept. He had this idea of like, hey, you know what? Maybe all these kids that were put in detention in another era, they would have been the demigods, you know? Like, we, we call them juvenile delinquents, but Homer might have called them heroes. Uh, maybe this is where the demigods really were originally, uh, that uh, the hyperactive kid, you know, in ancient Greece, they would have assumed, well, he's not hyperactive. He's just the son of Hercules and a, an immortal woman. And <laughs> so he created this, this collection of books, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, which again, I thought was just a stroke of genius. And the books themselves are just great. So fascinating. But his concept of, you know, maybe just turn the telescope around. Maybe we're just looking through the wrong end of the telescope. You know, we're, we're looking at the kid one way, but maybe we should look at it the other way. And it's me that just totally, um, it, it changed my own thinking, you know, looking at people, maybe society isn't normal. Maybe society is abnormal and the kid bouncing off the walls is normal. Yeah. And we're full of energy and actually needs to run around a bit more and, and be challenged and trained as warriors. So, I mean, that, that sort of comes, you know, full circle to all that ancient sort of warrior traditions. Um, that's definitely where those types of kids were picked out, weren't they? And, and trained up to be, these are superior athletes, these, these incredible um, heroes of their time, uh, these people that were the de- de- defenders of their own villages, of their own cultures. Um, would you say that that's sort of right? Mostly right, except for one thing. You know, we have, you know, through sort of our own entertainment purposes, you know, we, we sort of separated ourselves into actors and and audiences, you know, we've, we've created this artificial split between those who do and those who watch. Mm-hmm. But again, that's a brand new thing. That's a brand new thing. I mean, I think back in the day, everyone did everything. So, you know, now most of us on a Sunday, we all plop down the sofa and watch other people play sports for us. You know, <laughs> whereas your grandmother played the sport herself. She was outside doing it herself. And so the difference I would say is, I think we've created this Hollywood notion of like the warrior as this gigantic, like, you know, Dwayne Johnson, the rock guy. (laughs) But I think, I think really everybody was that person. The idea was the notion of hero applied to everybody. You know, it's funny because the, the, the word associated with hero, the ancient Greeks associated with the word citizen and, and a hero is a person who helps others. And that was a citizen your obligation as a member of the society was to be able at any point to step up. And so I I think the thing about it is, again, we think that the uh, hyperactive kid is the abnormal kid. I think back in the day, everybody had some degree of hyperactivity and we're all outside doing stuff. You know, we're the ones that have tried to narrow our world into a cubicle space so that that one kid sticks, uh, you know, sort of sticks out. But I think think back in the day, we were all outside most of our time, and we were all that of that warrior class. I think, you know, because it's survival. I mean, we all know the the saying survival of the fittest and and how evolution works. And and I do really think and I do worry about the human species that we're actually generally going backwards, physically going backwards. Um, and, And we're not as strong as our grandparents were. We're not able to 
you know, and this is why for me it was always important to be able to just roll out, you know, roll out a bed and run a hundred k's if I had to, you know. And um, I mean, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do that my entire life, but if I could do that at least for a good portion of my life and stay, you know, healthy and fit as I possibly can given my circumstances, um, then then I was doing my job as a person. You know, I was doing my job that I can help when I need to help, and I, you know, and I. And is strong and fit and able as much as I can be. Um, I mean, if you go up and I mean, I you know done a lot of uh, races in the Himalayas in the last few years, and you meet the um, Nepalese people up in the mountains, and we th- we come there as the big hero mountaineers and runners and whatever, and we go to the Himalayas and we get our ass kicked at altitude, right? <laughs> Absolutely, right. I, I've had my ass yeah, kicked yeah. so badly in in altitude, you know, and it's just totally brings you down to size as soon and you watch these people up there and I know they're genetically different but they just the the for them it's normal that a 13 year old boy is carrying you know I don't know 50 60 kilos on their back and walking every day all day between the villages you know carrying stuff up for for the villages you know that sort of thing is just normal that the, the 70 or 80 year old uh, great grandmother is still trekking twenty k's between the villages every day. It's just incredible. They're 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 an amazing um, people, and and that's what well, we've lost. That's the thing about it too, Lisa, is you, you create your normal. And, you know, the second you start to tap the brakes and slow down a little bit, you create a different normal, and then you tap the brakes a little bit more, and that that's normal. Um, you know, I think one of the things that first opened my eyes to it was when uh, we, we moved out here into the country in Pennsylvania. I lived in cities all my life. And I think one of the first years I was out here, I was out in, uh, behind the house trying to move this really heavy stone. I wanted to use it as part of a rock wall. And, and my 70-year-old neighbor came by in a tractor and he hopped off the tractor and just asked, where do you want it? And I thought he was going to use a tractor. He just rolled it up into his arms and just carried it. And I was... <laughs> Less than half his age. I'm like, oh my God, man, I just got humbled. But <laughs> I think the thing was, and he's like half my size, twice my age. But the difference was, it wasn't that he's that strong. It's just that he had never stopped moving. Yeah. And so every day, and not only did he have the strength, but he had the physical knowledge because I'm trying to like pick the thing up like it's an like Olympic deadlift bar. Yep. And he just got down on his knees and he rolled it up onto his thighs and he rolled it up onto his waist. And he basically used his body like a tool and he had the physical knowledge to do stuff, not just the strength. And again, these are the things that, you know, the less you do, the more you lose. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my dad's 79 years old and uh, he's as strong as an ox. I mean, he smokes like, I don't know, a packet a day as well on top of it, <laughs> which is definitely not natural. And yet he's still, you know, like <clears throat> crawling around in the garden, you know, up a tree with one one hand with a chainsaw because he's never stopped doing that. And he's, you know, been yeah. uh, and, and incredibly strong and incredibly fit. And that is what we should have, you know, this is what we should be aiming towards in, in old age and trying to avoid all these lifestyle diseases that we that we get. Um, and and I think that, that movement is really, really important. I mean, I did a um, project a few years ago. We tried to get a TV series off the ground and we actually got the pilot done, uh, but we, we couldn't get the funding for the TV series, but it was called Run the Planet. And it was um, a, a journalist friend of mine who was embedded in my crew in a, in, the, in a race that I did in the Himalayas. 
And I said to him one day, I better could turn you into an ultra runner. No problems at all. And he said, there's no way. I'll, I'll you know, run a 10K race maybe, but, you know, I can't do an ultra. And I said, oh, I'll show you. And I said, we're born to run, you know. <laughs> I said, quoted your book. <laughs> and and yeah, said, I think, yeah. And said, look, this is what we, you know, are born to be able to do. And so we had this bet and then we developed this TV series idea around it. And we went and we researched places all around the world where people had done these incredible endurance feats. And you would know more than I do because you've researched it even further. Um, of all these tribes and people and, and legends and stories – Oh, we've got some terrible static again, haven't we? I moved. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm back <laughs> where I was. Stop moving. I thought it was actually making things better. Okay, I'll sit right where I am. Okay. You got ADHD, so you can't sit still for one place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a bit. Okay, I'm back in my place. Um, and and you, you, so we we discovered all these legends of people, and we went to Australia and we did the TV pilot. We had a Aboriginal guy that um, ran 250-odd kilometres to save a friend who was dying. And this was only 1922. This is not even ancient history. And he ran, you know, he, he, without any any water, without carrying any food, without anything. He just got up from the side of his friend who was dying and ran 140Ks to uh, Alice Springs to a telegraph station to get help for his friend and then ran back again, you know. Um, oh. and incredible, so 280k, yeah, so incredible story. So we reenacted this, and we were my friend actually nearly died of a tetany seizure on the way because he oh, didn't geez. have enough electrolytes. <laughs> you got to get that stuff right, <laughs> especially yeah, if you're yeah. a modern day warrior. But he did, he's turned into a, a, an amazing ultra runner himself now. Um, and we couldn't get that TV series up and, up and running, unfortunately. But we, I will send you the, the link to the actual, uh, and I'll put it in the show notes for the listeners. Um, they can watch the actual, the pilot of that. And, but it really proved to me that all around the world, you know, the persistence hunters uh, in Botswana, the, show, the, the, the monks um, in Japan, you know, all in around Japan, the world, sure. people have done this types of things. And is that sort of what you were sort of getting into? You know, like you love this stuff, eh? So tell me a few of your experiences, you know, when you're writing Born to Run and Natural Born Heroes. Um, so a couple of those stories. Yeah, I think that's the thing about it. You know, Lisa, was like, again, I feel like we got the perspective reversed. Um, I think that people look at ultra runners as like some weirdos who got infected by some like bizarre virus, you know, <laughs> that uh, you, you caught some kind of bug. But I think, I think it's the other way around. I think that the people who are not moving – have been affected by a virus, you know, a deadly virus. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that for most of human existence, for literally millions of years, we moved all the time. Again, and we, we take a step back, well, all of a sudden, it just seems logical because, again, you know, cars have really only been popular for about 100 years. So humans have been around for more than a million. So for a long time, if you didn't have a horse, you had your own two legs. Yeah. And homes were further apart, so people lived in the country. So you you were always moving, and again, and, and if you wanted food, you didn't dial someone and ask them to bring it to you. You you went out, you got it. So that was it. So we were we were constantly moving, and long distances were were not considered. They weren't even considered long. They weren't considered that big a deal. But again, what we've done, unfortunately, as a, as a species, is we our brain has sort of outthought our bodies, and so we just needed more and more ways to not move. But again, this body is designed for movement, 
and this brain is trying to conserve energy. And sometimes the brain actually creates a situation that's, that's worse for the body. But you know I always wrestle with, though, Lisa, is that I feel like you and I have this conversation and we both get it and we appreciate it. Yeah. But the real trick, the real trick is how do you get that message across to other yeah. people? Because I feel like so many times I've had this conversation and I get 10 seconds into it and I get to see their head starting to go back and forth like, nope. Like you can talk all you want, but you ain't <laughs> but, talking me into this. Wow. Yeah. You know? and, and I feel all the logic is there. And I, I just had an experience today. I woke up today and like my knee and my Achilles were kind of like creaky and sore. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, maybe I should just take a day off. Yep. Um, but my, my wife was home. She wanted to go for a run. So I ended up doing a run. My legs felt better after the run than before. Yep. And, and it just, re- just reminded me, like, you know, movement is its own medicine. You know, everyone thinks, ah, oh, if, if I got a creak or an ache, I should wait and, and rest it. And sometimes you got to actually get out and juice it in order for it to go away. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, you're right. I mean, there is, it's a, it's a fine line. Like I've, I mean, I've run, you know, 70,000 kilometers in my career and my joints are fine. Uh, where I have done some damage um, is from the extreme, you know, we, we, you know, cause we do, we push our bodies to the absolute limit and, uh, and that's probably not, not healthy. Well, it isn't. I've got some liver damage and some kidney damage that I'm dealing with now. Um, so there, there is a point where it becomes, yeah, counterproductive, and probably running hundreds of kilometers is not the natural thing, but running fifty k's is. You know what I mean? So it's 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 finding <laughs> <laughs> it's finding that balance, and I think too that we are individuals, and you know we we need to listen to our bodies a little bit, um, and you know I get some of my people that I coach uh, who are constant overtrainers, and I can't pull them back. And then you get other people who really just need to kick up the ass and take a teaspoon of concrete because they just find any excuse, <laughs> any excuse, oh, my little toe's hurting today, I can't run. Uh, I hurt yeah. my knee 10 years ago, so therefore I, I'm never going to be able to run again. And that, they have the opposite. So, I, you know, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard finding that balance of, of, yes, you need recovery, yes, you need to repair yourself. Um, but I take a completely different approach with the two different types of people that I coach. And I, I love the overtrainers more than I like the, <laughs> like working with the ones that just don't get it. You know, they'll, they'll uh, get plantar fasciitis and they'll think they'll take a year off, you know. That's... Well, you're, you're, making, you're making me laugh before because you said, ah, oh, you know, going for hundreds of kilometers, that's not normal. 50k that's normal i'm cracking up because it's just funny how everybody's got their own definition of crazy um, yeah. I, I i was crewing for a friend at um badwater uh, a few yep. years before you i think this would have been back in like 2006 yep and my friend lewis escobar and um lisa smith batchin mm-hmm. was going to be doing a double a double badwater yeah she's crazy and, lady Yes. Well, yeah. There you go. Well, you yeah, there you go. Crazy, because I can't do it. And meanwhile, so. I'm looking at you. I'm like, exactly. And I, I'm, I'm looking at you as crazy. You're looking at her as crazy. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened. So our friend Lewis is like, oh, yeah, Lisa, she's doing double bad water. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And then we were talking to Lisa, and she's like, yeah, Marshall Ulrich, he did the bad water quad. He did it four times. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Each one of you guys is nuts. <laughs> but you always find somebody else that you think is even a little bit more nuts. Yeah, there's, and, someone who, there's uh, always someone who goes longer, harder, further higher 
Yeah, and, and even though even though you're out of your you're out of your tree, at the same time you can always find some find someone else who's even further out of the tree. But I'm at the point now where I feel like I don't think a marathon has ever been comfortable. Like 26 miles, no matter how many times you do it, it's like, eh. it, it always feels like six too six too many. Yeah, I, I feel like half marathon. Like that's that's all you need, you know. <laughs> Hour and a half, two hours. You get back in time for dinner. Uh, so uh, you told me fifty k being normal. Like yeah, I, I think maybe about a little bit less than half of that. Thank you. Yeah, no, well, actually, you know, I mean, and we're not saying people have to go out and run hundreds of kilometres. What we're saying is that people have to be physically active in nature regularly. I think that's the point, eh? And being fit and strong and healthy and not shirking away because it hurts a little bit. Um, I think that's probably the, the, the crux of the, the the conversation that we're having is that, yeah, it's not really if you run 100K or you run 50K. You know, it's it's all about really the fact that you're staying healthy, fit, strong. You're not just sitting on the couch getting, you know, more overweight and unhealthy. Um, and that's where the problem lies because people think that, you know, if they run a 5K, they're going to fall to pieces. We don't. We fall to pieces because we're not running regularly or we're not exercising regularly. And, yeah, I mean, for me at the moment, I'm, you know, like I said, I've uh, got some health issues with um, kidneys and, and liver and hormones, and, and, and I've pushed it too hard. I've pushed it too far. Um, but that yeah. doesn't mean that other people shouldn't be, you know, testing their own limits, you know. Uh, and I'll get on top of it again because now I know what I'm dealing with. And because I've learned all these lessons of the tenaciousness, the the persistence, the overcoming of obstacles, all those things that you learn when you're pushing yourself in nature, then I'll find a way around this one too, you know. Uh, well, be Lisa, a way I, I, wonder, I, wa- I wonder if there isn't a lesson that you haven't learned. Maybe you have, but the lesson of not competing, you know, and this is something I've really been wrestling with recently. Um, I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether we didn't really screw things up when we started making things in the contest. Yep. Yep. And, yep. and I, I, I really wonder, you know, if we can look back at the point where things became about winners and losers and whether I just have a suspicion that it wasn't always that way because the thing that I wonder, and I don't know you well enough to to know, but I'm just going to guess, is that you're so used to having the throttle down all the time that maybe walking out the door and say, you know, I'm just going to walk and chat with a friend yeah, for half an hour. Yeah, can't do it. See, there you go. That's right. That's what I suspected. Yeah. But so we, we had an experience. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little rambly here. But it's, it, trust me, it all has a central idea that will just burst forward like an orchid <laughs> in a second. So this past year – we spent um, basically the entire year taking a donkey that we had rescued from an abusive owner and turning it into a running partner. So um, <laughs> we ended up, and, yeah, <laughs> there, believe it or not, there's actually races. There are borough races in Colorado. You're kidding. Where, like, oh, no, it's actually, it's an old miners tradition back when they would strike gold. Only in they America. They would take the donkey. Yeah, I don't know. You guys got that man versus horse race somewhere. Whatever yeah. the heck that is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure everywhere you shake the tree a little bit, a little bit of crazy will fall out. Um, <laughs> so so in, in Colorado, it's this old miners' tradition where they would throw their equipment on the back of the donkey and then run to the nearest town, which could be 20 miles away. So that's been institutionalized into a whole race series where people show up with their donkeys and they'll race 
15 to 29 miles or different different distances, different races. So I thought, hey, you know, let's take this donkey that we've adopted and we're trying to get him in shape and make him feel like he has a job. Maybe he can turn into a running partner. So then my wife got a donkey too and her friend got a donkey. So there were three of us, three donkeys. <laughs> and we would go for these runs. But the, the key to running with a donkey is somehow persuading the donkey that this is a good idea. You know, it's like, that, that's it. It's not, whether, it's not whether they can do it. It's whether they, why the hell should we do it? Yep. And, and that's, that's the challenge. So we spend a lot of time training the donkeys and it's a lot of start and stop. Like you, you start and they go, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. And they go off and eat some grass and you got to get them started again. And then ropes will get twisted. So for a long time, for months, our runs were constantly slow and you'd go a little bit and stop a little bit. But what I found after two or three months of running this way was I actually feel really good. Like I feel like this is the healthiest I've ever felt as a runner. Wow. Because yep. the donkeys forced us to stop and walk and, and go slowly. And it just opened my eyes. Like, you know, again, this idea that we just gotta slam on the speed and just go hard, hard, totally. hard. Yeah. Um, that, it's a mistake. Uh, yeah. I, I actually you it's resonating with me what you're saying because um and I think maybe it was it's to do with our age, perhaps too. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I mean, racing and for, for me, it's always it's never been about winning. I've never been on the top of the podium ever. Um, you know, around the top, but never on the top. And and to me, ultra running hasn't been about winning the races. It's always been about the journey, and it's always been about pushing my own limits. But having said that, I would always slam myself to the ground. You know, like. You smash yourself to go as fast as you possibly could, even if you looked like you were crawling half the time. Um, right. And 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 it is really hard now for me to go and just enjoy, you know, like with these health issues that I've been having, I've got a very, very low blood count. So I've got I almost, I've lost over a third of my, my normal blood volume. And oh, jeez. Which... Um, which means that I cannot run very well, you know, like, and I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to go out there and I'm still trying to run, but I'm seeing much more the value in doing things like yoga and, and just being out outdoors and, and going for a walk. And, you know, it, it grates against that competitive nature that you have with yourself. Um, and, you know, you're fighting it and going, oh, my God, how the mighty have fallen, you know, struggling to do two, <laughs> two, two Ks at the moment. But I know it's not to do with fitness. It's to do with that I just don't have enough blood to move, you know. Um, but it, it, I, I look at all of these challenges that you face like this in life and go, okay, it's just another thing to overcome and I'm going to get to the root cause of it and I'm going to find a way around it and then I'll be able to show other people a way through as well who face similar uh, situations. And there's always a learn, a lesson to learn. You know, there's always a silver lining to each cloud and I think you've hit, yeah, you've hit something on the nail on the head for me today. I think it's a bit of connect the dots. Um, it's to, it's to take the foot off the pedal, run for a you know, couple of hundred meters and then be like the donkey. Smell the roses. Probably won't eat the grass, but <laughs> be be like the donkeys. That's it. We've come up with a new motto. <laughs> the yeah, ultra that's running that's donkeys. About, yeah. That's the thing about though. So you said um, you know, it's something to overcome. I think the key is if we can make it something to actually enjoy. And and that 
to me, I feel like that's like the grail. Like that's the thing that none of us have really cracked, which is that exercise, no matter how we dress it up, even you and I sort of look at it as a punishment, as a test, as, yep. as something we have to endure. And if we can just change our thinking that this is something we have to enjoy. And, and we, we, we all say it you know, a million times, but we don't really live it, which is like, well, watch kids. Kids yeah. don't like, oh, okay, I got to go out and play. You know, I guess it's my play day. I'm going to have to do this. You, you can't keep them inside. You know, they bust out the door. You don't make them get out of the sliding board. They can't wait. And unfortunately, we've perverted our approach to movement. So we don't look at it that way. And I think the thing about it is if we can change that mindset, even for you, because you look at that 2K yep. that you're struggling with now and just say, fuck the 2K. I'm not doing it. I'm going to go and have a walk and I'm going to go soak my feet in a creek and I'm going to walk to the pastry shop and eat something, you know, um, if we could just change it so that we actually look forward to it as opposed to dreading it, you, that, that to me is a secret. You shared a wonderful story at the Writers' Festival about Barefoot Ted and, uh, you know, um, the readers of, of Born to Run will know Barefoot Ted and he was a famous character and he, he was doing, was it Western States or Leadville? And you were crewing for him on the last, Leadville. yeah, last fifteen k's yeah. or fifteen miles. Tell us that story, because yeah, that that sort of I went, oh yeah, <laughs> that's that's crazy, because you know we see ultra marathon running sometimes, you know, and when you're in the middle of a race, it's it's hard work, and he turned it into a chat festival, didn't he? You know what? I'm so glad you reminded me of that story because. Um, Barefoot Ted was just here recently uh, to visit. He was um, on the east coast, and he and his wife came here to visit, and. I hadn't seen him in a long time and having him in my house, I'm like marveling at him. It's like someone brought me like a giant panda or something, this exotic creature that until you actually see, like you can't believe it exists. And here he is in my house. Yep. You, you are as crazy as as I remembered. (laughs) Um, but the thing about Ted is as wacky as he is, he'll say something. I'll be like rolling my eyes. And then two months later, I'll be doing it like living, living his life. And his thing was, this was at Leadville. And I was crewing for him. See, like all I ever do is like crew for people, just <laughs> pat them on the back. Um, and I was waiting for him at mile 80. So we we're going to do the last 20 miles together. And I was at the aid station at mile 80. And I was there like 2 o'clock in the morning. And you know what these tents are like, Lisa. They look like emergency room, hospital, hospital urgency rooms. Everyone's in pain <laughs> and complaining. And there's blood and sweat and vomit and tears everywhere. <laughs> yep. And, and I'm waiting in this tent, and all of a sudden, like the flap opens up, and it walks barefoot Ted, like he's making his Broadway debut. He's happy and he's smiling and he's calling the people. It was like it was like they just thrown a surprise party just for him. This guy is showing Hell. no signs of fatigue. He's been running since four o'clock in the morning the day before, and he comes up to me. And he's like, "Oh, oh, so good to see you." And um, he's like, "You know what?" This was a race. I'm done racing. And I misunderstood. And I said, Ted, you're, you can do it. You're feeling great. He's like, oh, no, no. I'll get to the finish line. But I'm going to take this race and turn it into a chat fest. And he just talked for like the next 20 miles nonstop. <laughs> and he's like annoying people, passing people. And Ted's like, blah, 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 blah. And these people are just barely breathing. And <laughs> Ted's just talking nonstop. And uh, we get to the finish line. He finished in like 26 hours or something. Really, really Real great. fast. Yeah. yeah. Like God damn, Ted man! Like, how do you do it? I thought he must have been trained in monster miles. He's like, 
No, no, I think I trained about 25 miles a week. Kidding. Like, dude, how, how do you train five a day with two days off That's and do 26-hour Leadville? That's and insane. he goes, this is like the key to the Barefoot Ted brain. He goes, you know, most people are out there every day and they're trying to test the limits of what's possible. I just want to test the limits of what's pleasurable. And his point was, he went and went five miles, and the second it didn't feel good, he was done. He stopped in his tracks, buy a latte, and walk home. And <laughs> listen, on the one hand, Ted is a genetic freak. I mean, he is a super strong guy. For all of his craziness, he is a superb athlete. But beyond that is, I think that his in his mind, he's never associated athleticism with discomfort. Wow. It is always fun. It's wow. always playtime. And somehow he can leverage that into some real great uh, ultra performances. But how do you, like, you know, because I mean, when you are fatigued, when you've been up for 26 hours on your feet or, or longer and you're absolutely exhausted, how do you smile? I mean, I know I can't. I'm, I'm a grumpy bitch with that 80K, 80 <laughs> mile into her. You know, my crew are like, ooh, watch it. She's going to fly yeah. off the handle. Because, you know, you, you are. You're short-tempered. You're in agony. You're, you're in pain. You're whinging. Uh, it's very hard to turn around and just be all happy, light, and it's all, you know, it's all um, cupcakes and bumblebees, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how you would do that, to be honest, you know, and I know admire, and I've, and I've seen other people like that, that they, that just seem to float through it as if this is the greatest thing on earth, whereas, you know, we do see it, or I've definitely seen it as a test of mental toughness, of overcoming. And and there is a lot to be learnt and from that 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 method or that that style, if you like. But yeah, that's this is a new way to approach it. I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt barefoot Ted's approach in my my training at the moment because I don't have really an option. So <laughs> I, I, I hope you do. I sort of doubt that because I think for you it's going to take some serious rebooting of your brain. You <laughs> yeah. know, but I, I think the thing about it for Ted was. It wasn't just race day. You know what they say, like, you know, don't experiment in the race. You got to practice every day. Mm. And I think for Ted, every day he did practice it. You know, I think most of us are training, even if it's a recovery day, we're thinking of it as a discipline. And I think Ted never thinks of it as a discipline, that he trained every day by having fun. And so I think that mile, first of all, at the beginning of the race, at four o'clock in the morning, he was not. Because, you know, we, we all get seduced. Like, hey, you know what? You know, I'm feeling pretty good. Maybe if I push it a little bit, I might, maybe I'll finish top five in my age group. Maybe I'll, I'll trim 13 seconds off. <laughs> the first time, when, when I tried to run Leadville, I set a half marathon PR oh. in the first 13 miles. Oh, shoot. Not good. Exactly. And then my <laughs> thought was, hey, this is great. My second thought was, that was a big fucking mistake. That is a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. So I got the mile 50 and I was done and I was gassed. Uh, I think Ted sets off and performance is not on his mind at all. I think he's head up, looking at the stars, enjoying his drink, annoying his fellow racers. Totally, yep. <laughs> and I think I think he gets a mile 80. He's tired. He's, he's tired. He's going through the same physical challenge. But, you know, there's that whole, there, there, there's that whole school of psychology which believes that the only way to happiness is just by being happy. Yep. Say, okay, I'm just going to be happy. Yep. And I think that's what Ted thought was. At that mile 80, he said, I'm just going to be happy. So his discipline really is to control his mindset 
and say I am not going to feel negative whinge and and fatigued I am going to pretend I'm happy until I am happy in other words like you like um when you smile you even if when you're angry if you smile at yourself in the mirror for 10 seconds you start to to actually feel better don't you you feel happier so he's adopted that methodology perhaps um to the nth degree something that we can <laughs> we can train in we can we can Lisa, I love- I love I love the fact that we're talking about Ted like he's Aristotle, you know, like <laughs> why wow, he's got this like philosophy. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe not. As but thinking yeah. about, <laughs> as, you know, as, as I sort of unpack that story, you're making me see things which um, I hadn't even seen myself. But I looked at his chat fest as as um, a, a further challenge. But maybe it was the opposite. Let's imagine that Ted was dead knackered when he walked in that thing, but he was surprised. Hey, he saw a friend there. And the genius of his methodology was, hey, I can use this, friends. You know, uh, I, I got three more hours ahead of me, four more hours ahead of me. I'm tired. Yeah. But if I talk to his friends, I'll distract myself from yeah. it. Yeah. And so I look at him as wacky Ted, but maybe his thought was something else. Like, you know what? I'm going to, the, the chat fest maybe is the only way he could have gotten to the finish line instead of like despite the chat fest. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that, that's, that reminds me of often on occasions where, um, I've had to help somebody else in, out in an ultra event where they're, they're really flagging and they're really in trouble. And by the, the mere fact that I'm helping them, I've, got, I've felt much better. I don't know if it's because they're suffering um, or because I'm helping them, um, but you're distracted from your own body and you're distracted from your own painful thoughts when you see someone who's, who's worse off than you and you're trying to help them keep going. There's nothing, there's nothing better because it, it actually – takes the focus off yourself off your own ego and your own problems and you're trying to help somebody else and automatically it lifts you so then maybe that's what he was doing you know i know lisa this is the thing i was thinking about too with competition and i wonder if we haven't ruined sport for ourselves by making it competitive as opposed to collaborative because you know one of the things i looked at natural born heroes is this sense of that I think originally and for most of our history, we were collaborative beings. And, you know, when you go off for a hunt, you didn't go by yourself. You went with your 10 buddies, male and female, old and young, together. And all of our activities were always communal. They were always collaborative. Nobody's going to try and, like, lift a rock by themselves. It's stupid. You know, why would you do that? But we do. Mm. Why do you go to the gym by yourself? That's Lift this heavy weight by yourself. It's stupid. Why wouldn't you bring a friend? And so I think that when you do that, when you feel the instinct to help and you obey it, you really are tapping into what we are naturally. Mm. And this idea of like, I'm going to like push the buttons on my wrist device and put it in my, in my earbuds and look down at the asphalt and not lift my head till I cross the finish line. That's unnatural. Mm. And, and, and that's why you try to endure it. Whereas when you reached out and you helped another runner, suddenly you felt that surge of like, hormonal joy it's because i think bam that's it like the animal has now found its natural state yeah oh you're so right there with the hormonal joy it really does it's a physical change when you do something for somebody else or you 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 get out outside of yourself and i think you know hormones do play a big big role in that in that um you know that whole oxytocin stuff and testosterone and all that all the other stuff that you need that can change your mindset I think, you know, Lisa, that any, anything that we naturally evolve to do, uh, you get a reward for. 
Mm. And one, one thing is if you do it and it feels good, chances are you should be doing this. And I think that as humans, we evolved as collaborative, helpful beings, and we get confirmation that because when we help, we feel good. And that's your, your, your mind is delivering a little reward that says, hey, for the species, this is a good thing. Keep it up. Yep. None of us is an island, doesn't you know? We're all part of a. We are definitely social animals, so I think we do need that, and we do yeah separate ourselves because we live in a competitive world. We're in in business and in you know in even in your love affairs, everywhere everything's competitive. You have to be better looking, you have to be smarter, you have to be everything in order to survive. But that's the opposite of probably where we've come from. I, I agree. I think that uh, you know a little a little bit of sharing goes a long way. Mm. Now, let's take a, uh, a look at the, uh, you know, I found it quite interesting too when we were on the writers panel um, at the Writers Festival, uh, the writing process. You know, how does someone who is ADHD and who, who can't sit still for five minutes write a 100,000 word book? <laughs> I'm str- yeah. I struggle. I struggle to write my blogs, let alone, you know. Uh, and, and I remember you saying that if you get a paragraph down at the time, you're happy. <laughs> Not not happy. I'm gone. I'm out the door. So, <laughs> and and that gave me hope actually when you said that because I I'm like that. I can I you know if I get one you know seemingly sensible paragraph out of out of myself, I'm up and I'm doing something for ten minutes before I you know and, and <laughs> I cannot concentrate and get into that flow state very often. I'm almost never in that flow state, and I think um, I surrendered to it, and that was the best thing of all was not trying to fight nature, you know, go with nature. So for me, you know, I'd been a news reporter previously and news stories are only five or 600 words. They're, they're pretty brief and they're not difficult to write. So you write them in short bursts. So that, that did most of my professional experience was writing in short bursts and then rushing out the door to do something else. Then suddenly you have, instead of 600 words, you have a hundred thousand words yeah. And I didn't understand how to make that transition. So first thing I tried to do was what uh, everybody tells you you have to do, which is like get up at five in the morning, like make the pot of coffee and you know, sit at your desk until six PM. And I tried to do that and I got nothing done. Like it wasn't happening and I was just distracting myself and messing around. So after months and months of trying this, I realized it ain't, it ain't working for me. So I just gave up. And what I decided to do was flip it around. So by day, because I work at home, I would just get up and I would like mow the lawn and take care of the animals and cut firewood and swim in the creek. And I would just run around like a savage until dinner time. And then after dark, I found I could really sit down from like 8 p.m. to 1 in the morning with little trouble. And so again, rather than try to force myself into the box, I just figured ignore the box, you know, and just do what you want. And I found that by, you know, exhausting myself by daylight hours, I could actually focus a little bit. And the second part of it was also, you know, give yourself little, um, little, you know, like the the rat in a maze, give yourself little bits of cheese every once in a while. So if I write a paragraph that I'm happy with, I am up, I'm out of the chair, I'm in there annoying the kids. And then I come back again, do another paragraph out of the chair, and just try and 
entertain myself as much as I can. But what about what people say, you know, you've got to get into that flow state where the real creative juices and it starts to pour out. And if you, if you interrupt yourself, or even with a text message, that pulls you out of that flow state. And, um, it, you know, because it's something that I'm, I do struggle with is, yeah, concentrating and staying on. And, you know, with computers and you've got 10,000 windows open and Facebook keeps popping up with messages and, you know, all that sort of distraction. It is really hard to keep your brain on, on the job, isn't it? And I think that's where it is. It's, it's to me, writing is not what your fingers are doing, but it's what your head's doing. And for me, most of that takes place away from the keyboard. Um, so even though I'm up and out of the chair and I was like splitting firewood, to me, that's where the writing really takes place. Uh, if I'm looking at a screen, I'm just looking at characters on a page. It doesn't really get me anywhere. But if I'm away and I'm outside and I'm, mowing the grass to me that's where the flow state is the flow state is when i'm outside moving then the story starts to take shape in my mind and then i rush back inside and write a little bit Um, it's that reflective state yes time when you're actually digesting it and putting it together in your head and and that's that's so it's giving yourself permission, I suppose, to uh to let that process or you you understand that that's your process now um, and you don't try and sit there and force something out of yourself. Because, you know, to me, it's about telling a story. It's not about what fancy words you use or how the paragraphs are shaping up. It's figuring out in your head how you're going to tell this story. And for me, it's a very physical, oral thing. Um, I think a story to be told. And when I'm away from the keyboard, I can actually sort of play around with my head, like how I would actually tell the story. And then, and then it comes to me like, oh, yeah, here's what you want to do. You want to start off with uh, the time you're in the woods and you found a body on the trail. Like, that's what you want to do. <laughs> and then you think, okay, you know, how, okay, how would that work? Okay, you, you say this, this, and then, then it sort of comes together. Then I rush back inside, write a couple notes, and then... If I have enough, then they actually sit down and try and write it. If not, I'll just take a couple of notes and I'll go back outside again. Yeah. But I feel like the the writing is the end of the process. The most of it is figuring it out in my head when I'm outside somewhere. Yeah. So it's it's using that time to let your brain wander, and this is where you know going for a good run or going for a, for a time outside doing something physical actually helps that creative juice. Basically, for for me, it's um. Literally indispensable. If I couldn't be outside, then there's no way I could write. I'd be doing another job. I should probably be doing a physical job. Yeah. Um, the only, only reason I can actually write for a living is because I can get outside and do stuff. If not, I think I honestly got to be a, a lumberjack or a house painter or something. <laughs> yeah, something I'm sort of not kidding. I, I don't think I could live in, in captivity. No, no. I mean, I'm the, I'm the same in a, in a way. Like I um, have always been self-employed because I'm just unemployable. I, I can't be, you know, I, I need to control my own destiny. I need to be able to, I, you know, I don't mind working. I'll work my butt off, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be stuck in a cubicle somewhere staring at a screen when I don't want to be there. You know, I'll work, I'll work right. till one in the morning, uh, which probably isn't good for the, you know, insomniac in me, but um, but during the day, I need to be out and like you, I need to be running around doing the stuff, whatever I need to be doing. 
um, and I can only, you know, concentrate at night time. So I think, you know, when you're listening to all these productivity stuff and you should be doing this and, and doing that and doing that, you still got to work it to fit your personality, don't you? Yeah, and I think that's where people really struggle is, you know, you and I are lucky. We were, like, crafty enough to scheme a way where we could do this. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I – I, wonder and I feel for people that don't have that kind of freedom um, and I think that's where exercise would be more important because you got to really relish those opportunities when they come up and um, I feel like that that's the job you and I have Lisa is to figure out ways we can let people know like, here's a fun really fulfilling way that you can do this exercise and actually make your life better rather than than more onerous Absolutely, I think that's a really good um, good analogy, and I might take that into my coaching and, and integrate that into my approach as well, and just try it out. You know, um, so before we, um, you know, uh, set, um, sum this all up, Chris, you know, because I'm I'm aware I'm probably eating into your day, and you're you're you know sitting there for that that period of time is a long <laughs> it's a long time. You know, what, what, that's a lot. That's a lot for me. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. How, how what yeah. are you up to at the moment? Where 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 is Chris McDougall in the world at the moment, and what are you doing? What's your projects? So the good news is like today, boy, I've had such a great summer. Um, I think because I bit, I went almost nowhere. Uh, I've been working on this book, which was so cool because it just plants me at home. And more and more, this is the only place I ever want to be because we're way out in the countryside in, in rural sort of Pennsylvania farm country. And, um, and so I've really been enjoying it. But what I've been working on is a book about that donkey running that I told you about. And <laughs> I believe it or not, I know. I know. <laughs> I, my publisher had the same reaction. Like, what? But I think there's a lot there because it's, it's basically the story of taking this donkey that was marked for death and rehabilitating it and turning it into a marathon runner. But what I really want to do is use that as a window looking at animal-human partnerships at this relationship that we all used to have and we've turned our back on and and you see now humans are sort of struggling to remember you know now there, there are therapy dogs and rescue dogs and all these creatures that we've brought back into our lives we, so we feel the urge like we, we, we know we want these animals around but we forget why and, and what to do about it so yeah so on the one hand the book is going to be um uh, a narrative it's going to be uh, an adventure story about taking this poor donkey named Sherman and turning him into a runner. But I'm also looking at lots of other stories about uh, how people remembered that, um, you know, we, we, we didn't own animals. We partnered with them and they, and they gave us as, they gave us as much as we gave them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't wait because you, you're the, you're, you're the ultimate in storyteller and the way you weave stories together, it can have a ridiculous storyline to it, if you like. Um, and yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's so insightful and it makes you think and it gives you history lessons, you know, natural born heroes is, is all about the history. Um, we didn't even get into what the whole story was, but, um, you're a master at doing that, so it'll be interesting to see what this book is, and I can't wait for it to come out. <laughs> oh, thanks, Lisa. Well, I can't wait to come back, too, because, uh, you know, it's funny. At this point, even though the book's not done, I'm already sort of thinking about book tour stuff. Yep. And already in my mind, I was like, man, I hope they send me to New Zealand, because honestly, I feel like you guys are the audience for this. You know, um, 
there's, there's, uh, you know, I think I enjoyed running with the worm people so much. It, they to me became all New Zealand, so it's probably not fair. It's a very no, small no, demographic. Yeah, we're probably yeah, you, and you have an official uh, invitation to come and stay with me. I, I live in uh, New Plymouth, which is about four hours north of Wellington. Um, I'd love to love to host you here, and um, I can, I'm sure I can find a dog or a cat or something to take up the mountain <laughs> with you. <laughs> We've got a wicked mountain up behind us, Mount Taranaki, um, and yeah. So I hope you do bring your book down here and, and do, you know, come and stay and, um, cause that would be fantastic. And yeah, you might find some stories here to add for your, your following book, you know? <laughs> well, I, I also want to use as my opportunity to, to, to stalk Phil Keegan and get myself on the amazing race. That's my <laughs> new obsession. <laughs> well, if you manage get, that, you know, think of me too and uh, um, introduce me to him as well. <laughs> Oh, have you have you not auditioned for that yet? No, no, I'd love to. Oh my I'd god, to. how have you not? <laughs> oh, at the moment, I'm I'm sort of um, I'm I'm a bit like you know I'm stuck to the stuck to the ground yeah, here and yeah, uh, looking uh, looking after mum at the moment. But hey, I love adventures. I'd be up for anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's think about that. All right. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for your time today. It's really appreciated. I hope the listeners have enjoyed this sojourn into uh, a whole range of, of areas and topics. As usual, very rambly and very interesting. And uh, that's been Chris McDougall. Thanks very much, Chris. Any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with, with people before you go? I think we should go back to what Barefoot Ted said. Test the limits of what's pleasurable. Test the limits live of for, what's live, pleasurable. Live for pleasure. <laughs> take this opportunity to tell you about my new e-course the path of an athlete that I just launched recently this is all about how to develop mental strength resilience and tenacity learning how to overcome the barriers to reaching your full potential and stop those limiting beliefs that have held you back whether it be in your personal life your career or in your sporting goals you can control the outcome of your life for more information please go to www.lisatamati.co.nz forward slash e-course. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.